the volume. The Sessions podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. Let me tell you a few reasons why. First of all, they are America's number one sports book. Duh. Uh, it's super easy to use. It's safe and secure. No tomfoolery. Fast payouts. As quick as two hours. And there's also so many different betting types. You know, there's same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, features, you name it. We got it over here. I mean, there's risk-free bets, enhanced odds markets, so much more. It's all here, all in one app, all in one place. The fast payouts and the safe and security. I mean, come on. Now, guys, if you're new, you just have to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started right now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so they know that your girl sent ya. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER. Or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. <laughs> So we've been able to connect essentially because it kind of took over at least a wrestling Twitter space recently that you were acknowledging my husband, John Moxley. You know, he took his time off to uh, to go to rehab to deal with alcohol abuse. Um, you gave some credit to that, which I thought was so, so cool for you to take the time and do that. So, uh, so much appreciated. It's always nice to uh, to get the love like that from somebody like you. I had that in my family. I had a younger brother who passed away like at 40. So I'm very sensitive to any type of addiction because I know how it pulls at the family. Uh, my brother, Daryl, he's been gone a while now, but, you know, he tried and tried. He actually got his life together at the end, but he had did so much damage to his body. His heart just gave out. But when I was reading the story, and I, like, you don't have any idea about my past. One of my, I've been in a rest, rest, rest I call it wrestling. wrestling. I've been in a rest. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my best friends uh, is Ric Flair. I've known the rock since he was in college. I've been to a gazillion matches, even going back to Birmingham, Alabama, where I grew up in a small town going down to Botwell auditorium. I'm, I'm talking, I'm going four horsemen, junkyard dog. So I've been in the business a long time. And uh, and obviously, actually, we did a promo last year with uh, Chris Jericho since we got back in the business. And so I pay close attention to it. Uh, and it's been fun. So I, I want to acknowledge your husband. You know, I was thinking about this, about this young black girl, Miss America, who killed herself over the weekend. People have to realize that they're never by themselves. You need people who like, hey, man. Uh, hey, young lady, you ain't by yourself, especially when you're in the limelight. Because I tell you what, one thing about the limelight, it sucks a lot of the time. 
because man, there's some really mean people out there. There's some people out there who are just, I see, I don't do any social media. I know. And you're so smart for it. I want, I have a bunch of questions about that. Cause I think, I wish that I could do that. Number one, I like to gamble. I like to drink. And if somebody said something to me when I was in either, I was losing money or drunk, I'm going to go at them pretty hard because I'm not one of those guys who's going to turn the other cheek. If you do something to me and turn the other cheek, I'm going to punch you in the other <laughs> cheek too. I'm not one of those guys who's yes. going to be like, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. No, I don't forgive you. You started this. Now you're going to see the ramification. It is really hard because like I'm on social media. I do feel the need and sort of the pressure to be on social media for my job to help promote blah, 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 whatever. Social media essentially is a currency when I don't get to be somebody like Charles Barkley. I still have to use it all the time. But my husband's like you where he doesn't use it at all. And he's so much better offered. He's like, it's basically like as if you've given a bunch of random people your phone number and now they have this access to you to just tell you these horrible things. What bothers me about it is the fact that just because your life sucks, you don't have to go after other people. My thing is, if you're successful, I've never said to myself, hey, you know what? Things are going good. I'm working hard. But let me go on the Internet and comment on somebody else's life. Well, like, no, nah, man, if you're busy and you're successful, you doing your own thing. I've never felt the need like, hey, let me drop what I'm doing right now and take a shot at somebody. Uh, you know, it's like that, and that's what it is. It has become. It's crazy and it's exhausting. I think that sometimes too, like this is like sort of an aside, but I had just hired this contractor to come in and paint our house. He did a terrible job, was like <laughs> late. He left early. I'm like, I'm going to write this guy such a bad review. I can't believe how bad this was. And like, I still never did because like I don't have time to. I don't have time to and I don't care enough to. So when there's people that actually do have the time to just like go on and spew like hateful things at people, how do you like, yeah, go outside and touch the grass, call your mom, call your dad, reach out, like get a life. They don't have a life. That's why they're such losers. <laughs> yes. But you know what? Let me sit around and look at the Internet and let me just harass somebody. First of all, who's probably successful. When you're successful, you have to accept the fact that, man, a lot of people, because their life sucks, they're going to take shots at you. And it took me a while to learn, like, Oh, I can't make everybody happy. And I'm talking, I'm going back to like 1986, 87, when I first started becoming a star. I was like, oh, okay. They just dislike you because their life sucked. They ain't never met you. They know that you're good at your job. But they, I guess they feel in power. Like, let me write something down. I says, hey, guys, never going to do the internet. No, no Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook. Did it ever bother you during your career if, say, a journalist or somebody, you know, wrote something out in print or somebody said something on television? Would that stuff get to you a bit? The first thing I ask myself when a guy write an article about me, you have to look in the mirror and say, wait, well, I did play bad, so I really can't go at the dude. So that's the first Salt thing. Salt in the wounds at that point though, right? Yeah, that's what I tell every guy. Cause you know, I talk to guys all the time. I said, the first thing you ask yourself, is it true? And you can't get mad if a guy like you did play like shit last night. What do you want me to get on TV and say you played great? Everybody just saw you. Players and coaches call me all the time, which is fine. I'll, and I'll explain why I said it. And they're like, okay. I said, I'm curious though. Why you never call me when I say positive stuff about you? Because that's like, Renee, that's like my personal favorite. I can say nine great things about a guy. He only calls me on the one bad thing I said about it. And that's probably the only time I get really pissed. I'm like, yo, man, I've said nine great things about you. And you called me and questioned me on the one thing that was legitimate. But like I say, the first thing you ask yourself is a criticism fair. And I don't even mind criticism. The one thing I will never stand for, if a guy write a story about me and it's not true, I'm going to definitely call him out on that. I always have this saying, I haven't done half the shit they said I did. Some of it, I, I'll raise my hand. I've done some crazy stuff. But like, sometimes, like, yo, man, that did not happen. That's not true. Because that's the one thing about our business. Everybody has an opinion about you when you're in the limelight. That goes from y'all business. That goes to my business, the NFL. Everybody has an opinion about you. And that's just how it is. I don't take it personally. 
Did you ever have a hard time when you were breaking into the broadcast side of things? I mean, I know you've been doing it for so long now and one of the absolute best to do sports broadcasting. Did you have any issues when you were first doing it, though, of being critical of players that you knew? Were you like hesitant of like, I know I've been in their shoes before or like 100 percent because I I don't go to work saying a guy's going to suck on television because I consider them part of my family. I want them to do well. I want them to play great basketball. I want everybody to be safe and healthy. But listen, I still have to do my job. I always tell people, dude, that's the way this thing works. If you play great, I'm going to talk bad about you. If you play bad, I'm going to talk bad about you. I mean, it's good and bad. There's no in-between. And it's nothing personally either way. I said, but that's the way this sports thing works. Whether it's a newspaper guy a television guy, if you play great, everybody's going to talk great about you. But if you play bad, they're going to talk bad about you. This, this, we're, hey, we're not doctors. We're not lawyers. We're not college professors. It's a very simple thing. If you play good, we're going to talk good about you. If you don't, we're going to talk bad. It's that simple. Don't suck and no one will have to talk any shit. We've had guys say, listen, we on national television tonight. We're on TNT. I'm not giving Charles or Shaq or Kenny this, uh, not a chance to say anything bad about me. Guys have said that in the interviews. It's like, yeah, I want to play well tonight because I know those guys in the studio are going to be killing me. Well, it's good. You got to set the bar, set the precedent, let people know that that's what they get. Should they shit the bed during a game, then you will bring it up on the broadcast. As a fan right now, you think about this weekend, you see how they're just shitting all over Pat Mahomes. Hey, Renee, that's the way this thing is. I had a friend of mine. We we're playing golf this summer. Really great friend of mine named John Spagnola. We're th- he played pro football for a long time. He had just gotten a couple new body parts. And I said, would you change anything? He says, hell no. When you play football, that's the deal you make. But it's kind of like being in the limelight. This is the deal you make with the devil. And it's just, uh, as I always say, it beats working for a living. I always said that. I do. Amen. I says, hey. I do. I say, yo, man, them nine to fives at where you work like 50, 60 hours a week and bless you for doing it. But you make some money like now nah, I would never want to do that. I rather have people talking bad about me and make a lot of money. What's your reaction to all the stuff that happened with Mina Kimes over the past week or so of her being critical of uh, Garoppolo and then having Jeff Garcia, former uh, 49ers quarterback, kind of chiming in saying, if you've never played the sport, you shouldn't be able to talk about it. I mean, I'm obviously paraphrasing because he went in. Um, what is your reaction to kind of what he said? And also, I guess on her side of things, like being an analyst that has not played the sport. I mean, obviously, you've worked with people like that as well. What's your spin on it? You know, it's a really slippery slope for everybody to be talking about because the notion that just because somebody haven't played a sport, that doesn't mean they're dumb and don't know anything about it. 90% of the guys on television and on radio have actually never played in the NFL. You know, that's just the way this thing goes down. But the thing I didn't like about what he said, I thought it was more sexist. Just saying you're a woman, like called out to dudes who have never played the game. So I think the biggest problem I had with Jeff, it was more sexist because, listen, I think a lot of people on radio and TV don't know anything about about sports, but that doesn't mean their opinion doesn't matter. Uh, So I think you have to be really careful saying you didn't play. You don't know anything uh, about the sport. That's the slippery slope I was talking about earlier. You have to be really careful saying you didn't play. You don't know anything because, you know, you can learn a lot by studying and talking to people and things like that. And let's get one thing straight. We're not, it's not like we are reinventing the wheel or anything. It's, it's a sport. If you're in the service, you're an essential worker, a cop or a fireman, like, yeah, you can take yourself a little bit serious, but if you're just dribbling a stupid basketball around, calm down, buddy. <laughs> calm down, pump the brakes. Um, so you have said that you plan on retiring by 60. What's the plan? What are you going to do? Well, you know, Renee, I've been in this thing. I'll be 59 years old in a couple of weeks. And I'm smart enough to know that I'm on the backside of life. And I don't feel like working to the day I drop dead. I've been doing this for 21 years, but I don't feel the need to work to the day I die. I'm going to be a grandpa in two months, which is officially means you're old, 
when you start going by the grandpa moniker, you are officially getting old. So I'm excited for this grandpa thing. But I think I say, I like I say, I'm basically 60 years old. I'm on the back nine. I play a golf every day. So I'm like, yeah, I'm on the back nine somewhere. And I just want to enjoy the rest of my life. You know, I've been working for a long time. But like I say, I don't want to drop dead while I'm still working. I want to travel the world. I, I got this game. We're talking about it. I'm going to put a bunch of countries in a bowl. And then like one week a month, I'm just going to pick a country and go. Oh, that's so exciting. I love that. It's so nice to think of like what that's going to look like. It's not like you're just going to retire and sit around and get bored. I'm sure you're going to be staying very, very busy. You only get bored when you got stuff to do. When you can just do make it up as you go, you never get bored. I mean, if anyone's earned it, it's you. You've certainly earned that time to just pack a suitcase and go wherever the hell you feel like going. So with TNT, with Turner, um, you guys have wrestling back there, which is amazing. You said that you've watched it, that you're a fan of that. You guys also just got hockey, which is amazing. Have you got to talk much to Gretzky? Well, I've talked to Gretzky quite a bit. First of all, I want to make it clear. Wayne is his own man. But when we got hockey, my boss said he made, I was the first phone call he made. And I said, what you need, boss? He says, I need you to talk Wayne Gretzky into doing hockey. Because Wayne's been one of my best friends. He's a, he's a great friend. And uh, I says, does Wayne want to do television? He's like, well, I don't know. I says, all right, I'll make the phone call. And I made the phone call. And, uh, yo, man, I need to talk to you about something serious. We just paid $1.5 billion to do hockey. We need you to do hockey. He's like, I've never done television before. And I'm not looking for a job. Like I say, let me rephrase this. I got to kiss my boss's ass and get you to take this job. And uh, I did. He took the job. And another one of my good friends is Rick Tockett, who was one of my neighbors in Arizona, because they both were neighbors at one point. And he's on the show. So my good friends have really come through for me. And they tell me they're doing a fantastic job. I feel like TNT, you guys do such a good job over there of taking sports and taking sports figures and letting you guys just be you and let that be fun. I think that Paul Bissonette is a huge... um, He's great. He's so good there. Oh my God. I was so happy that they hired him. I feel like he's that little bit of spice that they need to keep things nice and loose and fun. And there's nothing more fun than just watching people that know the sport, enjoy the sport, and just get to talk about it as the pros. You know what TNT has really done, Renee? You have to understand something. Okay, so my normal night, we're on from 7 to 2 in the morning. When you do basketball or hockey, it's, it's a long-ass night. And I think one of the reasons our show's been so successful is nobody want to talk about basketball from 7 o'clock to 2 in the morning. We try to make it as much fun as possible because, you know, you, go, you got regular basketball fans, but we're trying to get people like yourself, more women involved, older people. So TNT has given us, and like I say, this is my 21st year, when I first got here, like, man, we got to have more fun. I mean, because people are not going to watch from 7 to 2 in the morning if all we're doing is, hey, this is how you play the pick and roll. Because we could actually X and O them to death. But nobody wants to sit there and listen to that from 7 to 2 in the morning. Now, I want to hear you guys talking about churros. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, 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 and so you got to give our staff a lot of credit. Like, no, you guys have fun. When we need to be serious, we'll talk about basketball. If there's some issues come up, we'll talk about that. But the main thing is y'all make sure people enjoy watching basketball. And we have done a really good job at that. What is it about you and Shaq that just makes your chemistry so charming and magical between the two of you? Can you put your finger on it? (laughs) You know, first of all, he's awesome. And he's got thin skin. (laughs) and, and, And I'm old school. And old school, if you know something bothers somebody, you got to keep poking the bear. And he gets so mad at me sometimes because, you know, I'm going to keep poking the bear because that's the best thing about sports. Being in the locker room, on the bus trips, on the plane trips. I feel like you guys have recreated that in a studio atmosphere. We've heard that before, and that's pretty much true. I totally agree with that. You know, Renee, when you're on... Like I say, when you're on a four-hour, five-hour plane trip, when you're going east or west, if you're not having fun, like when I played for the six, we bus to New York, D.C., and New Jersey. So you're on the bus for two hours. 
it's kind of quiet before the game to a certain degree, but after the game, if you win, it's two hours of mayhem. <laughs> and that's what's one of the coolest things about it. We have tried to recreate that. So that's a great point by you. To be athletes for so long, playing at the caliber that you did, I'm sure that kind of scratches that itch for you guys as well. I mean, when people walk away from the sport, they always say it's the thing that they miss the most is that locker room atmosphere. So it's cool that you guys still get that to a degree. It's fun to watch. We try to make it fun. Like I say, we want people to have a good time watching basketball. But I'm going to say this, ain't nothing like playing. Let's get that <laughs> yeah. out of the way. There's nothing like playing. I mean, because... Uh, it, it's such a, an amazing feeling to be, number one, be really, really good at something, but also the people you play against. Like, you know, in my day, it was Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing. And when you look at when people talk about the greatest ever, you know, people, first thing they talk about, they're like Michael, Magic, Larry. You know, those probably are the three most important people in NBA history, in my opinion, because Magic and Larry saved the NBA, and then Michael took it to a whole nother level, kind of like Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus in golf. And then you had Tiger, who took it to a whole nother level. And uh, But, man, it's been so amazing. I mean, well, every time I see, I'm watching old footage of these guys, I'm like, yeah, I played against Bird. I played against Magic. I mean, so it, it's, been a, it's been a really crazy, amazing journey. And you hate the debate. Of Jordan versus LeBron, correct? Because I think it's lazy. I mean, Michael's been retired for 100 years. And why are we trying to worry about him against a guy today? Because that's the one thing you got to understand. A lot of these guys are just, um, they do radio. As a friend of mine said, who's like a famous radio guy, he says, Charles, my only job is to get these fools to call it an order for four hours every day. That's my job. And I said, what? He says, Dude, that's the way this business works. I got to be on the radio for four hours every day. I just kind of come up with a subject that these fools going to argue with me for four hours. And it's very interesting. And that to me is like, you know, you're going to get the old people calling in to defend Michael. You're going to get all the young kids calling in to defend LeBron or throw some Kobe in there. Then some of the older people are going to throw Kareem in there. But I just think it's lazy. You know, uh, Michael was the greatest I played against. I got a lot of love and respect for LeBron. He's a great, great player and an amazing man. All the stuff he's doing off the court, especially with the the promise school back in in Ohio. So uh, I just think it's a lazy debate. Yeah, I tell you, you know, you know, Renee. When I was going, when I last year, when that last dance thing came out, I was saying to myself, "Holy shit, they almost killed Michael back then." And then to see the way the game is played today, well, a kiss on the cheek is a foul. It's like <laughs> it's like night and day what I'm dealing with. I'm like, did y'all just see this dude almost get killed when they were playing the Pistons? I mean, he took him. It took him four years to get past the Pistons. They beat the hell out of him three years before he finally got over the hump. Like I say, LeBron, who's amazing. I mean, you breathe on guys hard today. They're like, that's a foul. I mean, <laughs> it, but that's just the way it is. How was it for you watching The Last Dance when it all came out? I mean, that really took the world by storm. And like those early quarantine days, people were like, oh, my God, great. We've got something awesome to watch. How was that for you to kind of take a little walk down memory lane? Well, it was always great going down memory lane. So I think I got to like episode five when they beat us for the championship. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's a bad memory. But it made me realize how much Michael went through because you know, a lot of these guys today don't want to compete. They all get together. And that's annoying because I'm one of the old get off my porch guys. I hate to see all these guys play together instead of fighting through like a Dirk Nowitzki did. But to see what Michael went through to get through the Pistons and just, no, we got to get better. We got to get better. We got to get better. I wish a lot of these young kids could learn that instead of saying, hey, you know what? No, I need to go and join my friends so we can build these super teams. But it was it was it brought back some great memories, as, at least until I got to like episode five or six when they beat us for the championship. But other than that, it was it was great. It brought back some great memories. Um, OK, so taking things back to Shaq really quickly. What did you think of Shaq stepping inside of a wrestling ring and taking bumps? This man's crazy. That's a perfect word. This dude is crazy. His body probably can't take the abuse today. But with his personality, he's one of the most fun people I've ever been around. 
First of all, he's a really hardworking dude. I mean, he's on every commercial. Oh my God, what is he not selling right now? It's crazy. It's just a matter of time before we start doing a Depends commercial. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> they got the big bucks over there. Get that Pampers money. I know he's turning 50 sometime in the next couple of weeks, so he's close to Depends. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> but you know, he's a great businessman. He does a lot of stuff, uh, clearly. Uh, but I could, with his personality, if he really had a want to do it like 25 years ago, he would have been great. He would have been a huge wrestling star, no doubt. I have actually never been so excited in my career. We had WrestleMania in Dallas. I was hosting one of the pre-shows like way up in the stadium and, and Shaq came out. I've never hauled ass so fast as I did to run all the way down. I'm like, let me do this interview with Shaq, please. Because I was like dying to see him finally get into a wrestling ring. I thought that we were going to see Shaq in Big Show, which we never got to see that. But we still got to see Shaq. Is he not the biggest human you ever seen in your life? Massive. And I'm around large men all the time, but that's to a different scope. It's crazy. I tell people all the time, I played in the NBA for 16 years. And I played against a Mark Eden, rest in peace, Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, guys like that. When you see Shaq in person, he's the biggest human being you're ever going to see. And it's no wonder that everyone, like, I feel like people just want Shaq to hold them like a baby. Like, I feel like that's such a thing. Actually, Mark Henry, a big wrestler as well. I know Mark Henry. Mark's the best. I've never had an experience. Like, I was with Mark at South by Southwest, and he is just such a massive human and people just want to touch him all the time. Yeah, but he, like he, Mark Henry is probably six, seven inches shorter than Shaq. He's much shorter than Shaq, yes. They both got humongous bodies, but <laughs> yeah. Shaq is like six, seven inches taller, yes. Much bigger, but I've never seen someone deflect humans' hands on their body the way that Mark does in like a very graceful way. He doesn't like make you feel bad about it, but like everyone's trying to hug him, jump on him, and he's just like deflecting people left, right, and center. So I imagine Shaq has to do a very similar thing all the time. No question, he does, because everybody loves Shaq. Hey, guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you, hello, hi, and you love some combat sports, well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. I'm so happy that this is happening. How are you doing? Me too. I'm good, Renee. How are you doing? Really good. Thanks for having me on the sessions. Oh my God. No, thank you for being on the sessions. I wish that we could have done this like forever ago, but you're a busy guy. I mean, between your contract ending at WWE to you joining AEW, then you have a baby. Like, have you even like had a second to take in what has happened in the last like six months in your life? It's really been a whirlwind these last six months. Since the baby's come, I've been off work for a few weeks and am off for a few more weeks. So it's kind of been the first chance for me to just take a breath and you know smell the roses a little bit i'm so grateful for how fortunate i am and everything seems to be coming up kyle <laughs> yay i know honestly like legit much to uh orange cassidy's chagrin sucker um no it do you feel like you're actually taking time to smell the roses though because as much as like and i mean john and i can kind of attest to that as well when like when he took time off and i had nora that it's like oh okay cool we're gonna like hunker down as a family for a second and like figure some stuff out. But it's like everything is new. We knew nothing about babies. Did you know what you were getting into? Nothing. My <laughs> baby experience is little to zero. Know, so like, like just holding the baby at first was scary. An experience. So scary. Like I felt like I was going to break her in half. Like she was just this delicate little thing and I'm trying to hold her so gently. And the nurse is like, you need to hold her a little gusto. Like, you know, <laughs> use the backbone a bit and just they're a little more durable than we give them credit for. And so I'm getting more of a grasp on handling her now and changing her and 
and calming her down. But she's like legit only 17 days old. We had our second uh, pediatric appointment today. I'm not really getting much time to smell the roses, but I, I am to a certain degree in this business. Like you get a week off and it feels like a lifetime, right? That's actually true. Yeah, a week off is a little bit like, okay, like not that I know from this, but I can speak from a secondhand experience of like, all right, body's feeling a little bit better. Maybe you start watching some old wrestling videos, like things that you haven't really had time for, all those things. Um, Talk to me about little Janie, though. What has she been like? What is it like being a dad? Has it hit you yet? Did it hit you right away? Or did it take a second? No, it, it hit me right away. Just a wave of emotion. Like we named her Janie after my mother who passed away in 2017 and she wanted to be a granny more than anything else. And so it was kind of our way to, to honor her legacy and, and to show tribute to her. And now it, the name is just so perfect. Like I can't imagine any other name for her and it's, she's just so amazing. And I just, I, I'm loving being a dad and it's something I've always really wanted to be. I've always wanted to have a little girl and I don't know. Now that it's finally happened, it, it's really special. It really is surreal. And like, especially once like once you really start seeing their little baby personalities come out and you can see like, even for me, um, it's funny. I Becky Lynch was over here the other day and she's like, oh, I see some of your mom in her. And I was like, oh my, I, of course, I tell my mom this and she's like, oh my God, amazing. Like everyone wants to like have that little moment. But it's really cool when you see different family members in your baby and you can see your family's bloodline with like your wife's family. It's, it's just such a trip to see. Um, and I love that you named your baby after your mom. I think that's really, really cool. I was doing like, um, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive before we hopped on here and I found your post, um, for mother's day when you were writing about your mom and what an eloquent writer you are, first of all. Oh, really thank you so nice much. Writer. Yeah. It was oh, really I really cool. appreciate that. Yeah, it was really well written. I was like, do you have like, are you a ghostwriter for somebody? Like, look at you go. It was really poetic. Well, it's something I've always had a passion towards, like creative writing and writing short stories and stuff like that is something I really love to do. And I just don't give myself an opportunity to do so more. I like I used to maintain a blog when I first left Canada and I was chasing this wrestling dream. I'm going to do this regularly. And I was pretty consistent with it for a while. Um, but yeah, you know how things go. It's just hard to maintain. But yeah, I, I would really love to jump back into that. And, you know, I, I definitely have a maybe a 10 year plan is to to write the next great American novel by a Canadian. Maybe one day I could. Yeah, Douglas so, Copeland. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, maybe one day I could put more um, energy into that. But I appreciate you saying so. Yeah. And I mean, it just gave me like a little bit of insight into more of like who you are, but also it made me look at you not knowing your mother, but as your mother's son. I mean, somebody that, you know, you talk about her being a feminist and you talk about her being very into the earth and being a little bit of a hippie and just like being such a great mom. How much of that are things that you've already noticed yourself kind of leaning into with your daughter and with your mom being such a feminist? You said the way that she raised your sister and whatnot. Like how much of that do you think you feel in raising a daughter now yourself? If I can do half the job that she did as a mom raising Janie, then I, I've done an amazing job. She would always say, you know, there's no love like a parent's love. And like, I get that now. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, people would say uh, the feeling is indescribable when you have a, a child and you look into her eyes for the first time. But it's so true. It's so cliche, but it's so true. And, you know, I'm just I'm excited to watch her grow up and uh, for her to become this amazing, independent, strong, badass woman and uh, just to support her all the way. And uh, I'm really, ex I'm just excited to like interact with her finally. At this point, it's just like drooling and eating and, you know, and that, <laughs> but like, I can't wait to, to the point where I can hear her laugh or something like that, you yes. know? Uh, so it's, it's, it just started, got 18 years left. So <laughs> a lot longer, obviously, but. I know, no, it is honestly like back into like the cliches and everyone's like, it goes by so fast and enjoy these moments. Like the fact that Nora's already, she's just about eight months. She just, her first tooth started to come through. It's like, oh my God, who are you? She's pulling herself up and she's gonna be walking before we know it. I feel like I just had her. It's nuts, but it's really such a, such a cool experience. So I'm excited for you guys. And also, I've noticed, um, also based off of your Instagram post, that you are putting her on the path of success from a musical standpoint. 
You've been playing some good music for her. What are your go-tos right now? Because the ones that you listed have been aces. So I've got a bit of a, a vinyl collection that I've amassed over a few years. It's, it's amazing, but that's made such a great comeback. I love it. Uh, I'm really proud of my Bowie collection. So I'm kind of playing her some, some David Hell Bowie. I, yes. I love David Bowie. Are you a Labyrinth guy? Did you like Labyrinth? You know, it was kind of a little before my time. You're not that much younger than me, first of all, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate it more now than I did growing up. Okay. Like, my mom played Bowie all the time. My dad played tons of, like, psychedelic rock. Like, I got a ton of Pink Floyd albums that I'll play for her. The Mighty Led Zeppelin. Like, she's going to get that whole sort of experience. And then I'm sure once she's old enough to have her own opinion, she's going to say, this sucks, Dad. Come on, put on, like, whatever the hot hits are of 2035. But... You are giving her like a good foundation that she will still be able to come back to when she can appreciate it. Even if she turns her back on it for a minute, the foundation has been set. You're doing right. Or maybe like her boyfriend one day, but your dad's really cool. He's listening to cool music. And then she'll be like, oh yeah, my dad is cool. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Those are the guys that uh, we need daughters to bring home. The ones that can make us feel cool again. Please. Yeah, Please, please, please. Um, Okay. So back onto the, like the wrestling side of things. Can you believe that this is life right now? That things have gone the way that they have? I mean, when I was like, you know, I always kind of keep like my finger on the pulse of what's going on in professional wrestling. I was like, wait, Kyle O'Reilly's contract is just coming up? Johnny Gargano's contract is just up? Adam Cole? Like, it's wild. How did this happen? When we were renegotiating, the powers that be were like, listen, this doesn't, typically happen usually we re-sign guys six months out but talent relations at the time i guess let things slip or weren't as into re-upping nxt guys contracts is the only explanation i could give i really don't know but i thought i had at least maybe six months to a year left it was a real surprise to me knowing that it was coming up in december a pleasant surprise you know just with the, the landscape and everything like it was it was really kind of a blessing that i was given the opportunity to make my own decision like I could stay, I can go. It wasn't made up for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I feel for people who get released and everything, and that happens way more than it, it should. It's awful. I was just grateful that I was, you know, in a position to where I can kind of look at the landscape and see what opportunities were out there. And luckily for me, um, AEW found a place and I was able to, to jump ship as it were. It is really cool. Cause it's like, I mean, you look at your time at NXT and, I mean, you really got to do it all and for you to be able to leave on your own terms. And I'm sure you left uh, in in good graces and whatnot that now for you to be able to go and be like, hey, cool, I did all of the things there. Now let's pivot. Let's go over here and do this thing with all of your buddies. It's nuts. That was a huge selling point, too. Like the AEW locker room is full of the guys that I came up with in this business that I've been friends with for years and there was a lot of that in NXT too, but it seemed like every couple of weeks you'd look around at the locker room just getting decimated. And it's like, that was just not a very good environment, I guess, at that time. And um, I just wanted to go follow my heart and go where I'm going to be happy and go where I'm going to be utilized. Like I felt to stay with WWE, was, it was going to be to stay with NXT. And I was like, okay, well, at this point, after four and a half years, you don't really have a spot for Kyle O'Reilly on the main roster. I got the vibe that there wasn't going to be a spot for me up there. I feel like I keep having these conversations and it's with guys like you, with guys like Adam Cole, like these guys that are those tippy top. These are the guys that you've all been investing your time in to put the company on the shoulders of. And yet there's no space for them. What? Like, it's it's just odd. Yeah, it's just different philosophies, I guess. Different, you know, different directions and different ideas and doesn't mean that one way is better than the other or one idea is going to make more money than the other. It's just, that's just how business goes. No, you're right. I'm just so diplomatic about all this stuff. And I just want everybody to do well. And I want there to be jobs in wrestling. Like there's such a huge wrestling boom right now from independents to national companies to whoever knows what's going to pop up next. I'm sure there'll be something great. And so it's just cool to see all the guys and girls that love this business have an opportunity to get paid, whether it's at that top level or at a lower level. Yeah, I was actually talking about this earlier today. I'm like, man, there is so much talent that are free agents right now or just amongst all of the other promotions and whatnot that like legit another promotion could like pop up. Imagine Hunter just says, screw this, and he just 
goes and does his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And Fantasy it's crazy because it's not here. outside the realm of possibilities. I know. Point. Like I wouldn't be surprised. We live in a world where Shane McMahon's getting released. I mean, everything's possible, right? It's, uh, it's is that all- legit? I don't know. I feel like the phrasing on that is probably not legit. I'm sure he's still, I don't know. He must be doing something within the company. Maybe just not on the talent side. Like you're not allowed at Thanksgiving anymore either? Like- <laughs> well, you know what? Who knows? Who knows over there what's going on? It's crazy. Um, okay, so what were the conversations that you were having while you were still at NXT, figuring out what you were going to do to make this move over to AEW? Everybody was really supportive. At the time, Hunter had, was off with his health issues, so I hadn't had a chance to really see or talk with him. Um, but Sean had been super supportive in just, you know, you got to go where your heart leads you. And they understand that. And I think they could tell, too, like, as much as we want you here, Kyle, we also want you to be successful. And Kyle O'Reilly as a character on NXT might not be super successful right now. Um, and that's cool. I mean, I'm happy to, to help guys grow. And, and I just wasn't ready at the point in my career where I was going to be a, a glorified coach, you know, where I was going to be training people. And I'm sure I would still had a spot on TV to some degree, but you know, I wanted to go where the getting was good. And AEW definitely has a lot of guys that I'd really love to work with. And a lot of tag teams love to work. And my tag partner is in AEW for one. <laughs> and Adam Cole is there for one, one of my best friends. How cool was that for you to like have that happen on TV the way that it did? Oh, so cool. And like they they played our old yes. theme song from Ring of so Honor cool. in New Japan. So it was really cool too. And it's kind of gave me like, okay, well, there's definitely got to be a spot for me there. If they're having Bobby come out to this song and they're talking about his tag teams past. And uh, so, I, you know, I figured maybe there was a shot there. Wait, you had not even had conversations yet while this was sort of the narrative on television already. No, I, I hadn't, which is pretty wild. Like a deal didn't really get figured out until like the day before my debut either. So it's just crazy how fast things kind of happen in this business, right? You know, I, I do most of my um, deep research on wikipedia.org. And while I'm on there, I'm like, just, you know, you go, I mean, especially like somebody's like wrestling Wikipedia is like, they were here and here and this tag team and da 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 and this promotion and blah, blah, blah. You have worked with everybody. Yeah, I've had a lot of tag partners. Who do you still want to work with? I mean, when you're looking at the roster of AEW and whether it's guys you have already worked with and you want to work with maybe this newer version of them or guys that you've not been able to tangle it up with. I broke in in 2005 and at the time, Brian Danielson was the Ring of Honor champion and was just on this legendary run. And he was coming up to BC to work quite a bit because he was still living in Washington at the time. And so I got to you know, chat with him and train with him a little bit here and there, but I never had a chance to wrestle Brian. And he's a guy that I've literally wanted to wrestle my entire career. And we've sort of been like ships passing in the night. Like every, you know, once I kind of leveled up to go to that next phase of my career, he was moving on to the next phase of his career. Not to say that I left NXT to hopefully wrestle Brian Danielson, but you know, you got to go where the getting's good. And I felt there was <laughs> yeah. a chance. Maybe I could work this guy one day. Like it's so not like, I don't want to get too much into this conversation. Like it's kind of a private conversation that I had with Regal before leaving NXT. And I'd mentioned this to him. Like, I don't want to seem like that guy that just wants to go somewhere to wrestle a guy, but he was like, no, I get it. Like when I left Britain, I just wanted to wrestle Ric Flair. I was like, really? Like, that's why you came to America. Yeah. But he was in WWF at the time. And I came to WCW and then he came over to WCW and I got to wrestle Ric Flair. I was like, Oh, that's wild. Like that's <laughs> such a cool little story. I hope he doesn't mind me sharing that is uh, cool. on the sessions, but you know, so I, I really hope that I get a chance to wrestle Brian and uh, you know, there's a ton of young talent there that I think my style would mesh with really well. You know, a guy like um, Daniel Garcia and Lee Moriarty, like these guys that have a similar philosophy as myself in the way they like to present their style of wrestling. And uh, I think that's really cool. And that's what's so cool about AEW. There is such a, a wealth of talent and a wealth of different styles. I'm so excited to get back in there. And whether it's tag or singles, just to tear it up and, and do what I think I do best. And that's just shut up and wrestle. And you do realize that there is something to be said for dad strength playing a role upon your return. Oh, I'm going to be so strong and like have a spider <laughs> sense. Like anytime someone's going to trip or fall, I'm going to like dive to save them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm on uh, it. <laughs> I'm supposed to let you hit the ground. <laughs> Is there anything to your own style that you want to change or evolve or kind of enhance upon now in AEW? I don't know. I've always just been wanting to make just wrestling as realistic and believable as possible. 
And I know in 2021, that's a lot harder and harder to do. The cat's out of the bag. People know it's not I know, real. Right? <laughs> hey, fake, <fit>, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want people to watch my matches and just to say, like, man, that was a good fight. Like, it's hard to tell if those dudes really hate each other or if they're really going to town. And yeah, I just really love to wrestle. Who are some of your guys? Who did you, like, grow up on just loving? I mean, I grew up. Absolutely loving that guy right here is Mr. Uh, Bret Hart. There he is. I mean, as a Canadian boy, how couldn't you, right? Right. How could you not love the guy? Did you ever go through the dungeon? No, I didn't have the pleasure. Do you remember when Bret was on that like Canadian-wide tour of Aladdin where he played the genie (laughs) on the stage presentation? Yeah. I went to see the show once, I think maybe like right in grade 12 or something. I was like, I'm going to just say hi to him after the show or wait for him to leave or whatever. You know, there's a bunch of wrestling fans getting stuff signed and stuff. And I want to be cool, you know, to know that I just respected the business. And yeah, yeah. So, uh, hi, Mr. Hart. I just want to let you know, I just, I really love, you know, those matches you had with Davey boy. He just looks off in the distance. Yeah. I was the best. All <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> Live with the gimmick, brother. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, Brett's the best. Oh, my God. It is really funny when you think of those moments, like when um, and I hear these stories often when you're like not in the business, but you're like kind of you're thinking about it. And you have those moments. And you're like, how do I like play it cool so that they know I'm not just one of these like Mark fans? I like know what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. That was exactly it. <laughs> so funny. So, yes, of course, as a Canadian, you have to grow up loving Bret Hart. Um, who, who else is on that list for you? Who's like your, um, your Mount Rushmore? I mean, I loved Hulk Hogan. Like my first memory associated with wrestling was at like the video store and there was a poster of Hogan tearing his shirt off. And I would like go home and put plastic Safeway bags on my shoulders and rip them. Because that's the only way he could rip a shirt if it was made out of plastic, right? Like it's the way it ripped, just looked like a plastic shirt. So he was a huge <laughs> influence to me. The Undertaker's up there because he was one of those characters that just really made me believe. I mean, it wasn't believable at all, any of the stuff that he was doing. But like as a kid, when the whole Undertaker killed your brother thing was going on with Kane, I was hooked oh on and sinker. Like that was, he know. had superpowers. He could make lightning hit the cameraman. And then uh, who else would I put up there? I mean, I love Japanese wrestling. That's been a huge influence on me. So I'll say Toshiaki Kawada is a huge influence of mine. Just a guy that just sells his ass off. I mean, there's always that adage of, oh, nobody sells anything in Japan. These guys sell harder than anyone. And like, it's just because it's subtle and it's believable. And he would just put so much into his mannerisms and, and selling. And, and, I'll, and I'll give honorable mention to Terry Funk because he's another guy. I think his selling is just so funny and comedic, but not at the expense of being serious or believable. And uh, I just love everything about that guy and his legacy. I'm going to take things back to just like you growing up in BC, young, sweet boy, you kind of did everything. You played hockey, you played rugby, you were into like different mixed martial arts. Tell me about all of the sports that you were playing and like what you gravitated towards. As a kid in high school, I played all the sports. You know, I did the rugby, football, lacrosse, hockey, all that. You know, I was in the drama club too. I went out for the school plays and the school musicals and it found this love for the theater. You can do musicals? This is a scoop that I don't think anybody else (laughs) knows about me. And it's probably going to be all online after this. But so my grade 10 production of Grease, I played Danny Zuko. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of a funny story behind it. This girl that I had a crush on at the time, she had an amazing voice. And she was like the front runner to play Sandy. And in my mind, I'm like, what a perfect icebreaker if i went out i got the role of danny i mean i'm in i mean there's literally films made about this of like well i gotta be in the play so that i can hook up with the girl that i like i know (laughs) i'm such a hopeless romantic too and i like i went and like for my audition song i sang the mr burns cover of be our guest see my vest (laughs) but i'm not a good singer my loafers former gophers it was that Skin my chauffeurs, but a Greyhound for tuxedo would be best. Okay. Oh my God. That, what a weird choice. That's so funny. Just because it's the only song I had like memorized that I could, couldn't butcher. You can't butcher that song. It's so easy. So lo and behold, I get the part and okay. So like now I'm actually really putting myself out there. You know, I'm going to be in a play where I'm singing and, um, in the theater version of Grease, uh, Grease Lightning is a Kinnicky number. So I didn't get to sing the cool song. I was so pissed. Did you get to wear leather pants at least? Did you get to wear like the outfits? Oh, I had the outfit, the hair. What happened with the girl? Yeah, she dumped my ass going into <laughs> our senior year. Great job. Broke my heart. Oh, oh my was, God. It, was, it hurt real bad. But it all worked out for the best. And 
of course I became a pro wrestler because theater and being an athlete in sports, I mean, it's, it's those worlds mesh together. That's what pro wrestling is. It's four-sided theater with ropes, essentially. I just found a total respect and love for performing and, and the whole art form of it all and the, and the performing arts. And I had an amazing drama teacher and my sister was into all that stuff. And she really inspired me to chase that as well. And just not, not to have any shame because as a kid, like you're on the sports teams or oh, you're going into the play. <laughs> Look at this guy's in the play. Hell yeah, I'm in the play. I loved it. I always kind of drew that comparison as well because I sort of roundaboutly, like through happenstance, wound up in professional wrestling. But like I had studied acting and I was doing acting classes and taking voice lessons and all of those things. Like that's what I was so drawn to. But I also played a ton of sports growing up. And then I was working for a sports network and I'm talking sports. So then when I wound up in WWE, I was like, it's all the things that I love all under one roof. And it's, yeah, it's it's crazy how like... You don't think like at the time I would have never thought that all of those paths would have led me to this one thing. But then lo and behold, it all just kind of syncs up in one place. It's so cool. When NXT got its TV deal, there was something that Hunter said that I loved when he compared NXT to the main roster. And he said NXT was like the Broadway show. It's where the real performers get out there. They got the chops. They can act. They can sing. They can dance. They can do it all. And there's no special effects. There's no big budget blockbuster movie special effects that's hiding it all like a Raw or SmackDown would be. I just thought that was such a great analogy and really rang true. I remember Hunter saying something like that before, like reading something about that and hearing that analogy. And I, I thought that that was a really cool uh, idea as well. And I, I really do think like that that's what Hunter was really trying to achieve with NXT. And it does, it, it's sad to see that uh, go away because I, I do really feel like he was onto something with that. And there really was a heartbeat to what NXT was. Absolutely. With you having this like musical theater background and this like big, fun personality, you're so serious as like Kyle O'Reilly. Do you feel like there's ever that part of this version of you that wants to like bust out? I think there's a little bit of it um, that kind of would pop out in situations where I'm comfortable, I guess. Like when, when the Undisputed Era was just this gang of douchey frat boys where I could kind of throw myself out there and be that kind of goofy kind of guy. But I guess we all have anxieties and confidence issues. And so much of wrestling is just yourself dialed up to 11. And it's, I guess, still hard for me to really to be Kyle O'Reilly, Kyle Greenwood, even if it is an elevated version of him. Whereas, you know, if like I was a Danny Zuko, I'm just playing a character so I can just go all in on this guy and, and just make it as fun as possible. Right. Yeah, maybe, I guess. I'm still trying to find that balance. Like, so much of wrestling is throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I still don't think I found the formula of what this finished product of Kyle O'Reilly is going to be. Forever is going to be a work in progress. Of course. And I mean, you still have, like, you've got so much of your career still ahead of you. And it's fun to think of what those moments of discovery are going to be or like what these evolutions of what Kyle O'Reilly are going to be and that that's still ahead of you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking Having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.